Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today we're joined by Nate Christian. Nate, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Nate Christian. I'm the uh, Senior Director of Marketing Analytics at Vimeo. I've been uh, in analytics for 10 years, uh, spending seven or eight of those in marketing analytics. So, uh, you know, happy to be here and talk about all things analytics. This is exciting. Normally, I'm, I'm doing the analytics, but I'm not really discussing it at a high level. So I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, it's, it's good to be connected to another member of the marketing analytics community. And that's actually what I wanted to talk about today, um, or at least for one of the questions. So um, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to bring together some of the, um, the leaders of marketing analytics in today's world. It's a fairly small community. It's a growing profession. And I wanted to ask your opinion about this growing community. Is there a need for more glue um, kind of bringing people together? I, I think that there is, uh, you know, particularly now, because the landscape is is changing, you know, with respect to how much data we have uh, to crunch the numbers on the amounts of spends uh, out there. So, you know, we all know that every day we wake up and there are more and more tools out there available for performance marketers to to spend in order to hit their, you know, business goals. Um, but, you know, with the changing privacy regulations, which are, you know, fantastic regulations uh, from a personal perspective, even though they present a business challenge, you know, it's, it's, um, it's becoming more and more difficult to understand the impact of these campaigns using traditional methods. And, you know, I actually think that that's a very rare uh problem that we in marketing analytics face, right? When you think about something like financial analytics, right? Uh, you know, financial data is always going to be there. When you think about product analytics, you know, there's going to be more and more ways to, you know, generate click streams and make sure that, you know, every action on a site is, is tagged. Uh, but really from marketing analytics, we're saying that the technology that we're investing in, um, you know, to spend these dollars around the you know, around the web is becoming more and more advanced, but with less ways to understand that, we really have to start communicating with our peers and leaning on them because, you know, I consider it a true market disruptor. Um, so, you know, I think that it is, it's really important because most businesses are probably in a position now where they are needing to reconstruct the way that they understand performance moving away from log level data where you understand every user's, every click, their profile information, their affinities to, you know, more of a general understanding of, hey, we spent up in this market and, you know, here's what we saw. So navigating that, uh, changing around your entire understanding of ROI and attribution, you know, these are things that if done in a silo could be quite difficult, but, you know, if you're regularly regularly communicating with other people whose you know data that they use on a daily basis is is changing, uh, I think that you can draw from their experience, uh, you know, and their insights as well. You know, we'll all get, we'll all get through this. I'm just saying that it will be much easier if um, you know marketing analysts shared ideas and and sort of work together on that. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I want to, I'm very, I'm very curious. What are some of the um, kinds of data that you see um, more or less going extinct um, that we're we'll look at? And what will we be looking at, you know, five years from now? Is it anonymized data? Is it data that runs through data science models? So nobody really sees it. Is it more estimation, um, more audience, or uh, yet like what's going away and, and what is it going to be replaced with? Sure. Yeah. So I'd say that, uh, you know, what the biggest disruptor is probably impression level data. You know, used to be the case maybe five years ago that, um, you know, one could see um, by working with their marketing partner, um, every impression that was served on their behalf and where it was served, um, which, you know, is fantastic when you're thinking about any sort of data science modeling, because um, oftentimes what these models require is uh, for you to generate some sort of data set of, you know, at a user level, who saw this ad and who did not, and then, you know, what were the differences in their behaviors? Uh, obviously, click data will always be there when someone sort of visits your site and, you know, all of their query parameters are there. So you say, okay, this person's responding to this campaign. But impressions, which are quite important for upper funnel activities, knowing at a user level who saw what is not going to happen anymore. So, you know, what I'm seeing is, is data that is, yes, anonymized, but also grouped. So rather than saying, okay, user one saw this ad, user two saw this ad, it's more so like, here's how many impressions we served in this market. And, you know, based off that, you sort of study that market compared to other markets and see what your performance was. So, um, you know, still useful and we can still gain a lot of insights from it, but the, the methodologies are, are quite different. There's a lot of interesting techniques out there where you sort of chart a, an individual user's journey um, and understands how individual ads affected their probability to convert. Um, you know, we we use or we use Markov chains, which essentially does this. So you take every single uh, interaction with a campaign, and then you start to simulate. Okay, if I removed one event from this person's path to conversion, how does the probability of their conversion change? To construct a data set like that requires you to have, at a user level, everyone's marketing touch points across all of their uh, marketing channels. So every email that they have clicked and opened, every impression, um, as well as every click on every marketing ad. But you know, as that goes away, those models also become obsolete. So then we require new techniques that analyze things at a higher level. So these are the trends that I'm seeing right now. But you know, it's obviously still emerging. So I'm interested in where the industry goes and how we start to treat attribution differently, you know, in the future. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. Um, I agree. I think um, it's, it's astounding how well we can, we can almost see causality through multi-touch attribution. It's such a powerful tool it's almost dangerous. I mean, it, that's it's a new level of understanding behavior through modeling that we really haven't had before. And, and 
it could only be here for a very small amount of time. So I think the key is take all the learnings that you can out of it um, before before we don't have it anymore. Completely in agreement. You know, these data sets probably, these user level data sets should probably not exist anymore. But, you know, I have faith in the marketing analytics community that will figure out ways to just track our, you know, investments. I want to just zoom out for a minute. It's clear that you're passionate about this. And I, I just wanted to ask you, what, what do you love about marketing and analytics? Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, why, don't, why don't you go first? Uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very open-ended. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say about it. I'd love to. Um, so the first, the first thing that I probably love the most is everything has to do with people. I'm a people person. I like to, uh, I'm, I'm social, you know, and, and something about analyzing data that has to do with behavior, with judging how well people are connecting with content through numbers. There's something about a person being on the other side of that data that is so much more of an interesting um challenge than if we were um monitoring like the frequencies on an engine if we you know there's there's all sorts of analytics right you you could do analytics on uh predictive analytics for machine maintenance and you know that's that's interesting but at the end of the day the the thing on the other end of that measuring tool is um you know just a machine and there's something about a human being being on the other end where you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of an audience and say, this audience is generally liking this piece of content more than that piece of content. And it's because we're seeing this change in um, their conversion rate or engagement rate. They're, They're spending another 30 seconds on the page. And you can think, well, 30 seconds isn't that much or 30 seconds is a lot. There's so much interpretation in how you how you actually understand the data and that's that's so interesting um i I think it's more challenging to understand patterns of human behavior uh through analytics than um almost anything else that you can measure i completely agree and i i love that um you know in a sense that kind of you know you sound like a sort of left brain and right brain kind of person right you're interested in like the content as well as analyzing it uh, and the numbers behind it. And, you know, I think that that's one of the great things about analytics, right? It's like you are analyzing things like creative, um, you know, everything from the the color of a, of a design to the, the length of a video to, you know, how click paths are changing as, you know, your designers change around landing pages. So, you know, I, I agree with you on that. I'd say that, um, you know, for, for me, obviously there's that. It sort of satisfies left brain, right brain. But also, you know, marketing itself is is it's business at the end of the day, right? You your task is to help drive the businesses um, you know, KPIs to whatever goals that they've set. So, you know, for me, I my background actually started out more so in you know econ finance. And so I I didn't really know much at all about data or databases until I landed my first analytics job. So I've always, I guess, kind of considered myself like a sort of a business person who happens to know analytics rather than an analyst who happens to understand businesses. 
And, you know, I'd say that I like marketing analytics because as a business person, um, you likely have a lot of ideas on how you can, you know, increase conversions for your company or drive a certain KPI. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're trying to make data-driven decisions, you are still um, often going to come up against data hurdles. And I see this all the time, you know, with the folks who I work with who are very talented, um, you know, and I, I appreciate their creativity and how, you know, talented they are at coming up with these ideas when they, when it's actually time to understand, okay, I have this idea. Does it hold water? Let's run an analysis on it. Um, I can often sense the frustration with having to wait, right? I mean, if you're a true business person and you've got this idea and you're really energetic about it, like you want to make it happen yesterday, right? Um, as in, as in, as someone who's a marketing analyst, you have those same sorts of ideas, but when there's no wait time, because if you have a theory that, you know, the conversion, like the business is, is moving in this direction because the conversion rate on this page is doing a certain thing, like, you know, you don't have to submit a ticket and wait in queue in order to uh, have some, you know, analysts like, you know, come along and support you days or weeks down the line. You can just keep going with that idea and that notion and really minimize the amount of time from ideation to proof to action. So, you know, in a world where not everyone can actually be an analyst because uh, that's not how it's supposed to be at a company, um, selfishly, I like sort of researching my own ideas, but I also love elevating my peers' ideas because oftentimes, you know, these guys have much more experience than me and, and think about things longer than I do. So when they come to me with something and say like, hey, like, I have this idea. I just, I just need like one or two pulls or something to like help solidify it. And then we actually bring that to fruition. Uh, you know, I, I love that. That's like what I, what I live for. So I, you know, that's the best way I know how to describe it. Yeah. Hypothesis driven yes. work. It's so interesting. Another thing that you brought up there kind of is the agile nature of analytics where you're you're always jumping to new ideas, new new ways to deduce what's going on, what's changing behavior, um, how to improve engagement, um, better serve the customer, things like that. Um, you know, you're constantly having to to explore new ideas, and it's no surprise that COVID changed a lot of the behavior that people have online. And I want to ask about that. Um, how has marketing execution adjusted to COVID? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you got, you, by the way, these are great questions. Um, uh, I, it's, it's a lot more nimble. It's, it's a lot more nimble now. Um, and you have to have contingency plans for things where you never thought you'd have to have a contingency plan for it before. Um, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, I, I work in a, I currently work in a SaaS business, but, but most businesses that are sort of mature or, you know, or particularly SaaS businesses are, are quite simple when it comes to forecasting, because there's a, there's a process that a lot of businesses sort of wash, rinse, repeat, where it's like, okay, we understand based on all of our historical data, uh, you know, if we were to just sort of keep chugging along, 
here's what our year-over-year growth rates have been, and here's where we'll be probably, you know, one, three, five years down the line. So I think that all analysts right now are struggling with the fact that there is no sort of baseline that you can bank on. You need to have many different scenarios that are baked into your future expectations, and you need to be honest with yourself that any of these are possible. Uh, so I'd say that there's there's a lot more risk that we need to evaluate now, but also like analytics requires a lot more flexibility now than it used to. You know, it used to be a crazy thing if someone sort of approached you and said, hey, you know, um, we need to generate a, a new view of what, you know, our industry and what our business is going to do. And then, you know, headlines change because COVID changes and someone asks again, oh, you know, given this new change, we're going to have to redo this forecast. Like that's that's quite unusual, you know, um, but nowadays it's it's almost table stakes. So, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get through it. But I actually think it's kind of a good thing in terms of just skill development, because if you can generate an accurate forecast or if you can just put together general business plans, uh, you know, in a time like this and understand how dynamic everything is, then you're, you're going to be golden when in a non-pandemic world where things sort of chug along like clockwork again. You mentioned something earlier about having a business foundation and then building an analytic skill set on top of it. And you kind of touched on it in that last answer about being resilient to change and understanding the risks and um, and and how that that may be different and not not as comfortable um, as analytics work used to be. So I want to ask, you know, for in in terms of skill development in the marketing and analytics world, um, what would you say is the right pattern of skills to build? Oh man, Def- definitely don't go for the most advanced thing from the start. I think that's that's a trap that I think a lot of um, you know newer folks tend to. Uh, find themselves in where, um, you know, you sort of learn what you want the final output of your work to look like. You want it to look like the amazing models and, you know, work that's put out on these forums, on these websites, you know, I'm, you know, listen, I, I am part of the data is beautiful subreddit community as well. Like I get super jealous of the stuff I see there from time to time, but you know, the, the reality is, is like this, all of these sort of advanced techniques are, are quite new and not really at the foundation um, of a business yet. You know, business foundation is still very much built on, you know, whether you like to believe it or not, a, Excel spreadsheets, um, being able to take a forecast or an understanding um, of, you know, what may happen in the future from an advanced model, it is still important to be able to relate that back to executives and stakeholders who are still, for very good reason, in spreadsheets. It's very easy to put data into a spreadsheet and manipulate it, come up with different models and sensitivities to understand your business and and where it may go. So, you know, I often um, meet people who don't necessarily have that Excel and SQL foundation um, because their eyes were sort of set on uh, 
their end goal of doing some of the most advanced analysis, which is an excellent goal. But I think it's important to always have that strong foundation because the reality is, especially as a junior analyst coming into a position, um, like a new position at, a, at an analytics company, like you're not going to be asked some of the most sophisticated questions coming out of the gate. Um, likely your role as a low-level analyst will be, hey, run this report, do not touch anything, do not delete anything, just copy the data into Excel um, and send it out. Like you own like daily reporting, like do this for six months, uh, you know, respond to when people ask questions, you know, look into the data sheets if something appears to be broken. Like this is a very typical like junior analyst position, uh, you know, and so if you're focused on getting or landing your first role, um, it would make more sense to focus on those tasks that newer analysts get asked rather than focus on questions that are likely going to be reserved for much more experienced, tenured people. Like if a business needs, you know, a, a churn score to help, you know, improve their retention rate, probably not going to ask that of the newest, most junior person. They're probably going to ask that of the tenured data scientist who's been there for quite some time. So sort of building up to that, making yourself useful in the tasks that junior analysts do while developing understanding of these more advanced techniques is probably going to be best for your career starting out, in my opinion. But again, like, you know, this is probably one of the most controversial questions that you could ask. If you ask 10 different analysts, you get 10 different answers. So this is just my opinion. Uh, how did you, how did you start? I mean, what was the first analytics tool that you, you know, added to your arsenal? Definitely Excel. I, um, I, I had a few analytics internships throughout college. And so I'm, I'm almost getting PTSD <laughs> thinking about all of those spreadsheets I, I was asked to do. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, did you have to do the shortcuts as well? Like, did you know all your Excel shortcuts? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, we did no mouse week at my first job where they took your mouse away because they, they were <laughs> and like, I didn't really know why at the time. They were just like, listen, you're going to have to know shortcuts. We're not going to tell you why, but, you know, don't use your mouse uh, for the next week so that you can learn these. And obviously it was hard, but I understand it now. So I turned around and did the same thing to my analysts when they joined my team. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, whatever helps empower these analysts, even if it's something as simple as, you know, teaching them pivot tables, like that's, that's what we got to do as team leaders. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that that's a foundational skill that in today's analytics world is um, table stakes. You you have to know how to how to use Excel, you know, in a, in a in an advanced way. Um, you need to know how to do pivot tables. Maybe not modeling so much, but at least you know creating visualizations and making the data really consumable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, listen, I, I think that um, you know lots of folks are attracted to the to the modeling aspect, but it's um, it's kind of like a kind of like what Steph Curry did to basketball. Like I've I've heard I've read a lot of interviews where you know coaches are like you know up and coming basketball players are having a really hard time explaining 
you know, why people need to focus on the fundamentals, like defense, like ball handling, because everyone just wants to like shoot crazy three pointers. Right. Similarly, it's like, I, I would encourage, you know, people who are just starting out, like, I know you want to build amazing things, but like, let's, let's remember that it's the, it's the, the Excel, the pivot tables, the just running and slightly altering SQL queries every week that is likely going to pay the bills starting out. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and that's actually how I you know I was talking to my manager about career progression probably two years ago, and we were talking about the relationship between going you know very deep and technical and also coming back up to the surface and understanding the business context and then moving into that more executive mindset and and providing that value, and you know he was he was very. Um, honest with me about you know the fact that you can get stuck if you stay too technical for too long um, and you can also um, you know perhaps be weak if you don't go technical enough and you just try to go for the executive skills and I think that's that's a, a very interesting perspective because it's all about timing and timing relative to your skill building. And when you when you feel that you've, you know, gotten enough technical skills where you can really get in there and be dangerous, um, you know, it's maybe it's time to start zooming out and thinking about how can I apply this set of skills that I've spent the last couple of years um, cultivating and actually try to improve the business from a higher level. So it's 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 a it also comes down to timing. I think. Oh yeah, uh, certainly. And you know, these are by the way, um, just for anyone listening, like these are not problems that you will only struggle with during the first couple of years of your career. I think that there is a a constant balance that people are trying to strike, even at you know the director VP level of analytics. Listen, at the end of the day, like any other employee at a company, like they you know we we get. Uh, you know, peer reviews, uh, you know, we get feedback and, and no one's perfect, you know, even when they get more senior. I know that I, I am not as technical as I am business oriented and it's an area of improvement for me. Uh, you know, if you found someone who has stricken the perfect balance, that's great for them, but it's not, it's not really, it's almost like a, it's something that you should always aspire towards, but I don't know if anyone ever gets there if that makes sense it's it's uh it's like you can always get closer and closer but it's a little at like uh i guess asymptotic like you it's it's important to try to balance yourself out if you're weak uh you know when it comes to statistics and you know the reality is is that more of these predictive models require statistics like yes obviously you need to learn statistics but like you need to literally be perfect at it while you're also literally perfect at communicating those to executives be nice but you know who out there is perfect you know i really like yeah that's it's a balancing act you, you, you need to understand where you are at any given point where you're trying to go what are the needs of the organization and kind of use that to determine the direction of your development oh yeah absolutely i mean i can you know just speaking from experience like i i took my first data science course after one of my direct reports took a data science course and so, you know, the needs of the business at the time were, okay, I need to manage this person who's about to have a lot of rock star ideas because they're learning all this cool stuff. Like I, I at least need to learn how to ask the right questions so that when they, you know, show me some, you know, creative idea that they've worked on, 
I, I at least have the foundation to say, okay, this is probably a good recommendation for the business, or this one needs to be rethought in certain ways. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's about what the business needs and, and timing. Really interesting. Um, I want to cha- I want to change topics a little bit to the last question. And this is actually, um, this is really relevant in my life right now. Um, I've, I've been on the diversity and inclusion team for, um, you know, most of the last year. And I actually was recently um, uh, chosen as the leader for, for, you know, for the team moving on. And so I'm trying to think like, how can we improve the, you know, diversity around analytics and other initiatives? And um, we just, you know, what's, what's your opinion around that? Well, first, let me just say that it's, it's, um, it's very important to have diversity in analytics in the first place, you know, um, thinking about it, or, you know, let's set aside all the sort of like moral and ethical reasons why DE and I are imperative, you know, let's focus purely on, on business itself. Right. Um, if the reality is, is that if you are part of a, an organization that is trying to expand, you know, the more viewpoints that you have, the more, you know, diverse backgrounds you have, just the more successful that you'll become. It is very important uh, to um, make sure that you are as diverse as the community that you are trying to serve. And in in a technological world where, you know, diversity is king, uh, it makes sense that the people who are building the product are just as uh, diverse as those who are using it. you know, to your question about how we get more diverse, uh, you know, I, I think that particularly with analytics, uh, you know, education is important. I was a, I was a part of, um, I guess, the advisory group that worked with New York City Tech Talent Pipeline, which is a, a really great program that whose mission is to sort of foster local talent, uh, you know, particularly in underserved communities, right? Make sure that, um we provide means for everyone, uh, not just folks who are able to land special internships or sort of, you know, major in, you know, these sorts of topics in college or grad school, but let's provide everyone, um, you know, you know, equal opportunity to learn analytics and also uh, gain access to potential employers. So I think education is a, is a really good place to start. Um, I'm curious, you know, outside of, outside of education, what other, um, you know, levers you think exist at a company to help foster diversity? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, you know, education is the core of how you can teach yourself the how to provide the value that businesses are looking for. And the best thing about marketing analytics specifically um, in this area is that because it's so new, there aren't that many formalized education uh, processes to teach somebody how to be really good at, you know, analytics. But there are so many online resources for free that we're all learning from. And we didn't learn this in school. I'm actually the exception to the rule. I studied marketing and data science in college. And for the data science part, they didn't even have an undergrad. Uh, curriculum. Oh wow! They did. They put us in with the graduates, and they gave us like a ten percent bump on our grade. That's that's how they managed it. 
So it's such a new, it's such a new industry. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that, that college is still catching up. And I think that's a really positive thing in terms of bringing, giving everybody an equal opportunity because it really is there for free. Um, I learned so much on YouTube and just like that idea that you have to pay six figures to get, you know, a stamp that says, you know, something, I think that's going away, um, in a sense, right? As it should, right? I mean, um, you know, we, we keep coming back to, you know, technology being the great equalizer, but at the end of the day, like that, that is why these online resources are, are so, you know, crucial, um, there should not be a major barrier to get into this industry. Uh, you know, I see, you know, the types of the type of talent that comes out of these, these programs and there's just such a raw talent. Uh, you know, it, it would be a shame if, you know, half of the people in our industry weren't here just because, you know, for systemic reasons, they were unable to get that degree that, you know, that was required in order for them to enter our industry, you know, um, or, yeah. So, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's important, but also, you know, you're, you're very involved in like DE and I, from what I hear, I guess sort of question for you is like, why, what draws you to it? Like, why do you, why do you feel as if it's very important? That's a great question. I think that it felt right. There was, it's a, there, it wasn't like a logical decision of, you know, you know, here's X, Y, Z. And so I'm going to take an action. I was actually invited to join the team. Um, I didn't even uh, seek it out. Like I didn't even know it was like an option for me um, to join. I, you know, I was, you know, I had heard about it. It was around, and then I just joined one of the meetings and there and they asked me, you know, would you like to join full time? And I did. And it was a really fun the group of people were amazing and I learned the value kind of on the job. I I, I fell in love with the idea of making sure that everybody's opinion was represented. And yes, yes. And it, and that that concept I I found to be very powerful. If you can kind of mediate between all the different perspectives and instead of picking the one you like (laughs) making sure that everybody has a chance to um, contribute and to feel seen yes and um and that's that's what i really love about it and so it was it was really an ongoing relation ongoing relationship that developed and then you know there was a spot open for who wants to lead the team and you know i i raised my hand that's great. And, you know, I, I agree completely. Uh, you said something that, you know, really just hit home for me. And that's the idea of feeling seen and feeling, and feeling included. I think that, you know, and again, just tying this back to marketing analytics in particular, right? Um, what is marketing analytics? You're dealing with business problems that need to be communicated to business people, some of them quite senior. It is terrifying for anyone who's new to, you know, this profession to, you know, walk into a room with an executive or a senior person in the room and, you know, with full knowledge that they are about to have to look this person in the eye and say, listen, that thing that you wanted me to analyze, that initiative that you worked on, yeah, that didn't work. It made us no money. Like, like that, that is a scary thing to prep for. And, you know, the way that these conversations go is, if I say it didn't work, 
they're not going to say, oh, thanks for that. Here's a gold star. Meeting is done. Like there, there is going to be debate, right? Debate. And obviously these people are very good at having intellectual debates. And so you need to be on your A game and not distracted. And I just feel like when you are comfortable in a setting, um, you will do so much better if while you are also having this highly sophisticated business discussion, you're not distracted by thoughts of, you know, is this person judging me because of the way I look or because of the pronouns that I use or because of the way that I wear my hair naturally? Like, you seriously need to be on top of your A-game um, when you are presenting analysis, communicating, really doing most parts of this job. So, you know, said differently, someone who is distracted by lack of DE&I, an analyst who is distracted by that, is an analyst who's not at their best. So as leaders in this industry, it's really, you know, on us to make sure that we are creating environments where people do feel seen and feel comfortable. Because at the end of the day, like one, it's your job, but also that's how you get the best analytics and the best results at the end of the day. Yeah, it's empowerment is a really um, important thing to focus on, I think. Um, it's like, what what's missing? What do we need to build? What what would kind of take, what's, what's the move that if I make it, it makes an 80%, what's the 20% of moves I need to make that make the 80% of improvements in the workforce. Yes, yes. And it's funny because every person's different, right? Like you, some people just require to like be completely left alone, like give them something, you know, they're going to crush it if they just feel like they're on their own or other people, they need that guidance. They need that checking in every day. Like, Hey, what do you need? How can I help? So being able to spot what that move is, the skill itself, I didn't even have a couple years ago. Like I'm still learning myself, but you know, uh, hopefully I'm doing well. I, I try to, I try as best as I can. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great to hear. Um, Nate, I want to, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. This has been a really interesting discussion. Thanks for reaching out and having me be a part of it. I, I rarely get to engage in these sorts of conversations. So this was a, you know, great experience. Well, great to have you. And to all the listeners out there, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.